Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. I was wondering if I should do an intro, but then I was also thinking that I may have never called you by your first name, so it would be fitting. That we might be of the two people that have never called each other by our first names or last names, for that matter. <laughs> I had to check how to pronounce and spell your last name because I'd forgotten. <laughs> right. Sports fans, I am babbling on, but this is Moving Needle Podcast. Welcome back if you are an avid listener. I appreciate the support, the views. I read them all. And if you're not... Well, this should be a blast. We're going to go down memory lane of downhill mountain biking. I've got the legendary Craig Stickman Glasspell. That honestly might be the first time I've said your last name, unless it was spelling it in an email to you back in the day. My man, it's been a long time coming. We did a, a warm-up shall I say, at a dinner in Whistler when there was a big table. Warm-up dinner. But it basically yeah. was me and you talking a whole lot of downhill shit. How are we doing? I'm glad it, glad it wasn't recorded back then, so we'll clean it up. Nah, nah, we won't. <laughs> There's no ways. I mean, you have seen some stuff back in the day. What's it like reflecting back to some of that? I mean, there's a couple of years you've been in the industry now. How many is it? I, well, I, I had, how do people define the industry? But I started working at bike shops in the late 80s as a kid, shop rat kid. Um, so, yeah, over 30 years. And then my first, like, paycheck from a bike brand was early 90s, 92, 90, 92. Right. Team Iron Horse, but, yeah. Racing-wise? Yeah. Well, no, I, I, I made some failed attempts at being a – cross-country racer downhill racer and i i luckily i figured it out pretty pretty early on before i was 21 i think that it wasn't gonna pan out and i was i was friends with you know a lot of the up and coming or top pros that i was just like holy shit they are actual talented professional athletes i'm that's just not my my thing but I wanted to be involved in it in some capacity. And so I'm kind of passing that. I try to tell our daughter, Lee and I's daughter, Grace, she wants to be a singer songwriter, you know, another to compare the two to bike racing and downhill racing is you know not a good comparison, but it's, a, it's, a, it's savage competition. Um, limited number of seats, if you will. And, you know, I realized for myself, I realized I wasn't going to make a living being a professional racer, but I, but I love the sport and the industry. How can I be involved in some capacity? And so I went down the road of doing team mechanics and team management and that sort of thing. So kind of telling our kid that, you know, networking early on, um, getting jobs at recording studios, media, recording media, just anything to get your foot in the door is uh, how how a loser like me got to 
I don't know how people define success, but I consider myself successful. No, <laughs> and, I, I uh, would. I would. Everyone defines it differently, but uh, I think it takes a certain level of uh, you need to be a bit humble to to sort of understand at an early age. I think you almost need to be pretty smart to say, because you could have given it a hard go, almost like ignorance is bliss. And some sportsmen have come out of just, they've grinded it out and been there long yeah. enough and, and something eventually clicks. But have you wasted seven to 10 years getting to that point where maybe you realize <laughs> I might not even get to the point um, and you've probably got brains to go that way. That must be a difficult conversation with your experience to have with your daughter because what you don't want to like stop their dreams, but you know maybe the plan B is not a bad idea to, like you say, okay, well, why don't you intern? Why don't you network? You never know where this could go, even though that's your plan A. And if you've yeah. got your heart set on it, you can definitely achieve that, right? Yeah. I mean, luckily she has two perspectives, mine of a failed athlete attempt and mom, her athlete attempt was a total success. Um, and, you know, Lee chased her dreams of being a downhill pro and they paid off. Um, I discovered differently and went down a different road. So she's got two, you know, parental perspectives and, you know, your parents' perspectives are not always what you want to hear, but we're there for, for stories and anecdotes and, um, which made me think too, like just in the moment here, only because who was I talking to that just had a, there's, there's an, some another pro athlete just had a kid and I see these comments about, um, Oh, you're going to be a world champion someday. And that stuff, I completely off topic, I guess. Right. But that's the whole um, point. Our, our daughter has heard that her whole Shame, life. Yeah. From when she was, we took her to the sea otter when she was 18 months old or whatever it was. And people saying that then with Lee holding her in her arms. Oh, you're future world champ, future world champ. She heard it her whole life. And she couldn't even enjoy the bicycle, honestly, because people, when she was five years old, expected her to be the next world champ. And she's just a little kid wanting to ride her bicycle. And, uh, and to this day, fast forward to 17 years, 17 year old kid, she rides Whistler at the bike park, like I'll do two laps. And mostly it's for the social part of riding up on the chairlift and being in the pit and all that fun stuff. But riding bikes i think that i think hearing that her whole life that expectation um it it, it kind of hurt her passion for the for the bicycle a little bit um and i i made a comment somewhere on the internet about that um you know people were talking about sam hill's kids like they're gonna be the next blah 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 sam hill and it's like, fuck, can't they just be kids, man? And well, yeah, I've done it. We've, we've all done it. And I'm not saying it. we should not say that. But I guess maybe think about that when we tell people that. Because the kid may not ever want to be that. But they may just want to, whatever that parent does, whether they're a singer or a downhill racer or a motocross star, like let them just dabble with that stuff for fun and if that's what happens, they become the next world champ. Cool. But anyway, this super weird side ramble, but yeah, but it's, it's, um, it's almost like P 
people, me included, would be, so I'll meet your daughter for the first time. It's probably what I would say as well, just because it's like something I could say like, oh my goodness, totally. it's nice to meet your young daughter. Oh, she's going to be a future world champ. Look at the parents. Like it's almost <laughs> like I'm boast, you know, boosting your ego. Like, oh, because you guys are so successful. This combination of your genes has no other choice but to be, say, a world champion yeah. if she wanted to. Like she would be in a good place to do it. But there's so much that goes on subconsciously eh, with a child, which is fascinating because they might be like, like you said, so if she kept hearing that, then bike riding wasn't even fun. She didn't even maybe have the chance to fall in love with the, the art and the process of riding. And she was always under this illusion like she's got to have this talent or show this talent. Yeah, 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 from from a, from an early age, so... But anyways, we 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 always hope that you know she'll come around. What to be a mountain bike world champion? No, 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 not <laughs> even be a fucking champ. Come. But just enjoy, just enjoy cycling, um, because we know personally what it's you know it's changed our lives, and we work in an industry where it it it's changing people's lives for the better. So it's just a it's why we, why we all do it. It's an awesome activity, whether you race them. Or just ride them, so. Yeah, it's fascinating, eh? Um, EC's one, I guess, might drop before this. That was a fascinating chat as well. And if you think about what it's given us in life, whether you do very well from it financially or not, or retire and it's very tough afterwards, you, if you don't get too burnt out, you've still got this awesome activity you can fall back on for your mental health. And, yeah. and it seems like the industry, I don't know what to compare it to, but. It really is fun, right? If you if you take the pressure off and you're out in the mountains and it gives you this physical component as well, which is just so good for you. Yeah, and I don't know if there's... I do know if there's a motocross person that I know well, Johnny O'Mara, that old school supercross motocross star who's now you know long time mountain bike badass, vet national champ, et cetera. When I got to know him in the nineties and training with him when he was mountain biking and hanging out with him, I didn't know his motocross background, but I quickly knew from friends and not even from Johnny himself. He would never really talk about it, but I would tell people that I'm training with him. Oh my God, Johnny O'Mara was the greatest of all time. And it always tripped me out that he never rode motorcycles again. And I remember asking him about it. And again, this is, 25 30 years ago having this conversation in his garage but i was like because at the time i had just got a dirt bike and was just riding in the hills with cully and jimmy kite and like they were motocross people i was discovering it and i'm like this is amazing yeah it's so it. new for you right it's like the business yeah. and he he had been you know five years out of it had injuries and whatever but he was like no i don't i don't ever want to ride a motorcycle again because i can't be I can't do what I did back in my heyday. And I'm like, yeah, but just riding with the buddies and out in the hills. No he way. No part dude. of it. That's like asking. I'm not going to compare myself to that stature of human on a motocross bike, but Hey, you ever going to race again? No, hell no. I'd rather pay you for me not to have to race. At it, right, you, but, it, it, but I do but ride. You still right? have, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Extreme enjoyment. But luckily I can riding. still trail ride and if i ride with the right buddies or i'm you know if i visit bren and his crew in uk like dude if you ride the right people but i wonder if he 
Totally. And I that, wonder and if that's he actually I, tried it know. with the right crew and went maybe like in the heels and twisted the throttle a bit with the right people without a, a clock. I wonder if the bug would bite again for him, you know, if you forced yeah, him out maybe. there. He's, you know, he's a, he's a unique human, awesome human, but I mean, one of the most intense training, uh, just the mindset of Johnny O and the O show. I, I quickly kind of, I guess I understood it once I got to know him, like it's a hundred percent badass or nothing. And there is no just having fun with the buddies and. So I, I was just, I, I reflect on that a lot because I, you know, now that I know several athletes that have retired and I don't think I can think of anybody that just, no, I don't ride anymore at all. I don't ride. They might not ride downhill bikes. Fair enough. But they still ride something. Yeah. It's still a sport that doesn't burn you out as much as motocross. Like, if you look at that schedule True. now, fuck me. Dude, yeah. it's no yeah, wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank goodness they get paid what they do, the, only the top few. <laughs> but it's no wonder they're burnt out, you know. it's yeah. They don't well, have a week a off. And then, and then when they're at the Supercross or motocross track, it would be like riding downhill at a high level every day is the only way to train properly. But at least we can dirt jump mitigate the risk trail ride e-bike gym but man dude supercross and motocross something needs to give like because those guys the dickhead next door at whatever uh, compound he's busting laps so you're forced to bust laps and there's yeah. an inherent risk with it you know and downhill's creeping that way and we spoke about it why are there more concussions what's going on here dude the speeds are higher that you know so that's the common, you know, when you hear all of us, myself included, I wish there was more races. And I think we can all agree, you know, eight to 10 World Cups would be like the sweet spot, whatever, right? Like, but you've heard people talk about having a supercross like schedule. And it's like, no. Like, no, we've <laughs> from so many perspectives, yeah. that's just too, that'd be too gnarly. And, and the, the uh, you know, the, the chances of burnout, however you want to measure that too, is, is very high. But for the Supercross, I just, I guess they're, it's getting compensated by the, by the, by the uh, financial component of it. You know, they're, they're making enough money in, in some cases to justify the, the pain the anguish, the hardship of burning out, you know, but I don't know if that would, I don't know. It's the same. I hear every, every year I've gone to rampage and people are like, they need to have a rampage series or a hardline series. Like, no, <laughs> it does not need to be series of that stuff. But, there might be, but maybe three's not but, so bad. Three or four and you become, well, here's what could happen because you're seeing it in other sports. Like, I don't know if you follow golf, like there's this new shake-up series with more money oh, than yeah, known the, to man, the right? Eastern so then, something. and it happens in other sports, right? Like if hardline was to take off and they did more, you could become a hardline athlete. Like people at crank a certain works, level yeah. becoming crankworth athletes. 
And then you do need to bolster the the World Cup series. You're right, like eight to ten at least, guys. We're paying them enough. The teams are you could do it creatively that you don't increase the team budget too much. Um, but I think we need eight to ten with maybe a throwaway the way our sport is, with how many variables oh, yeah. there are. We need yeah. like one throwaway yeah. at least if we're gonna have ten rounds. Stick you when I remember there was an era when there was throwouts. And- what was that like? I mean, fairer, better, it, not good. What did the riders say? I'd have to, you know, go back into it. Was I think it was a polarizing, controversial topic. Some people hated it and wanted it kicked out. Um, and I don't know if it, I don't think it was on the World Cup, but on the national, the U.S. national series, there was a, a throwout. Um, and I, as especially as a mechanic, as a, as a team tech shit happened especially in that era oh my, oh my god goodness. the amount of dog shit products how did you keep the bikes in too like i just feel like they would that, fall I've, apart luck, yeah and luckily i've i've heard some other you know old man on the mountain type people talking about that era of especially racers you know the the guys and the girls racing on products that were full beta prototypes you know, developed by not so savvy, savvy engineering at the time, you know, just product development and engineering has gotten so much better. Um, so the goal back then for the athlete and for the mechanic was to just get down alive with everything on the bike and not breaking the component, you know, the frame. And that was the mindset. Like you had to kind of oftentimes, and it, it kind of ebbed and flowed. Some years were like, okay, we know this shit's pretty safe at least so I can focus on racing and winning. Um, but there was a, quite a few years where the goal was to get down without breaking anything. And you would verbalize like horrible... this to the rider? This would kind of subconsciously be there or you would maybe have a conversation? Subconscious, No, subconsciously be there. I mean, I think of... Uh, there were some things that were, you know, not that I work for SRAM proudly. There's a competing brand that we, we were sponsored by them and they had a, they had a component that was just super dodgy and we were kind of forced to use it. And I remember telling Lee at Caproon, I forget the year, but you know, try not to bottom this thing out. Cause it's going to blow that component off the bike. And she's like, yeah, but there's that one section, there's a road, like a little road gap. And I'm bottoming out every time. I'm like, is there a go around or can you hit it a little softer or something? And she's like, I have to hit it faster to try and get more backside. So I reduce the risk of bottoming out. Um, So those are, I mean, that was kind of rare of handicap your riding to make sure the bike makes it to the bottom. Everything else was more just implied without words, right? Like we knew some of the, uh, I mean, when we rode for Mongoose, we rode a frame called the Outland frame, which had the VPP platform, which Santa Cruz later acquired. But Outland was the inventor and the frame maker. And we were just snapping seat tubes all the fucking time. And there was no remedy for it. Um, and that was, I remember Lee and Brian telling them, 
you know, you're going to have to adapt your riding style in this certain section. We, I remember going to Spain, Pantacosa World Cup, and you're going to have to go through this section at a certain technique and speed so you don't snap the seat too because we're on our last frames kind of thing. And that's just it's a crazy mindset to have as a racer, right? Like your, your job is to win. Um, and it, and in those, in those moments, the job was to make it down alive. And that's, it's just a shitty, but that's just, I mean, every, everybody was in that. It boat. was the timing of the era of downhill, right? So it was way more prevalent that someone would have something that was either lasting better than other teams or maybe, that was where prototyping, you could have a real advantage. I think now you could take a bike out of a bike shop and win a World Cup. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah. do think there's marginal gains at the factory level, but I think it's fair, don't you think, to say, compared to back then and the early 2000s, so this is pre-2000s, early 2000s, but we've got to a point now which is awesome. You know, It's real marginal gains. But back then, I mean, sometimes you got the early prototype. You were must have been so confident. Like, we are – so some people have a fork with more travel than the other teams. Like, it oh, was yeah, that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. shit. Yeah. There was – I mean, there was just one kind of late 90s. You could buy an intense M1 off the showroom floor. Not that many dealers were stocking, you know, downhill bikes but you could find one you could find an intense with hope or haze brakes at the time because they were proven they were production they worked after all the prototyping nightmares of that era you could buy an intense m1 hope or haze brakes you could slap a boxer on there um they usually had a like a fox coil over production all that was production some d-max wheels when those came out and you could roll out of the store with a bike that pros were running world cups on. And that's why everybody was riding every pro, not every, the bulk of the pros were riding intenses with their, with their sponsor stickers on it. Um, so that was the closest you came, but now to your point, yeah, almost every major bike brand, whoever it is, specialized Trek, Norco, all those bikes right out of the box could, could win a world cup. And then, there, you know, you have your – it was interesting to hear Bruni this summer. You know, Finn was on the new bike. Loic was not. And Loic – and I, I love the transparency of, of Loic, you know, saying Finn can just hop on a new bike, you know, new Geo, new whatever, and go fast on it. I can't. I need time to test and set up and all that stuff and – it was really cool that he was, you know, cause everybody's so full of shit oftentimes, like with reasons why I'm not riding it. He was just like, I can't ride a new bike. I've got to, I need some time to, um, to massage it to my, you know, setup, which is, you know, and we know once he gets his setup dialed, he's lethal. Yeah. I mean, he's just sort of older than his years, you know, with, with how he yeah. tackles racing. I mean, he's, <laughs> to me, he's a modern day Volios with the way he can sort of be a tactician like that. Be like, okay, it looks like an advantage for Finn, but I'm not going to get into that head game right now. I've, I've got my bike, yeah. I've got my setup, and it's an off-season thing for me. It takes a lot of mental sort of courage to to go, you know, stick to your direction, I guess. Yeah, and there's there's now we're 
you, know, you could you could slice it up any way you would but for me as somebody that's been around this long you had it's kind of three three chapters of downhill bikes the technology product side and the athlete side three different um chapters right that whole 90s era which is what we're talking about making it down alive mixed in with talent and training and dedication and all that um to the palmer pd you know the wild the party stuff then there's chapter two which was kind of when the sport tanked in 2000 2001 and you were kind of left with this hobbling along the industry and the sport hobbling along sponsorship deals were drying up but you still had these dedicated badass the Burrell era, right? I don't know if it's safe to call it the Burrell era, but um Yeah, but I mean that's when Sam Hill was coming into his own, Greg Minard totally. becoming, So there was yeah, there was these absolute stars with good bikes. Gnarly yeah, gnarly downhill racers having a go at it, taking it seriously, all that stuff. I'm not saying there was a demi- decline in the in the talent or the or the investment in the in the humans. That was another bitch and era. But I guess kind of the the money kind of went down down a little bit, um, and the industry's investment of it, right? Like there was, you know, that it was the Lance era, right? Companies were like, "Ooh, road racing, doing over here, and spend all our money on road racing," and and kind of fleeced all the money out of the rise of MTB. Then this vacuum came from the two thousand to two thousand ten, and you know the Gwyn Gwyn kind of seem to me again american socal guy stick man like gwen kind of kicked off this next chapter of gnarly dedication to sport um and the product had finally got to the point where to your point original point of product was all pretty good like you used to sign a contract based on the bike like the bike mattered so much and it still does but now it's there's so many good bikes that you can, you know what? With a couple tweaks, I can, I can go fast on it, and so that's that's a good place for the sport to be, I guess. Right? Is the the development side, which was such a nightmare, um, that '90s era of just every component: tires, wheels, brakes, drivetrain, suspension, tubing technologies, cockpit setups, like. It was all experimental, and uh, so next time you see a '90s downhiller, everyone thank them for their service. <laughs> yeah, no, you totally. I was just thinking that. I was like, you guys were just rapid prototyping at the highest level, risking life and limb, and the responsibility of you as a mechanic. What was what was it like? Because this is not what I grew up on, right? So South African magazines. Sven would bring me these videos once a year. Um, I'd go to Worlds for the first time in 2000, and I'd meet these guys, my idols, Dave Cullinan. I didn't even meet Lopes, but, you know, I'm the Grom that is begging for goggles at the finish line in 2000, right? And this is the – Palmer's still there, right, in 2000. Was he out at 99? Anyway. I think, I, I think he's I think he's like at 96, 97, 98. Yeah, 98, maybe, maybe 99. 99. Is, I don't know when that Big Bear win was. But anyway, um, what, what was that rock and roll 
era-like because there was quite a bit of that. EC was, you know, there were team owners that were some rich kids that were kind of just saying, well, go out and party. We're sponsored by a beer company. There was Chevy trucks. So there was outside industry (laughs) money. These guys were sort of rock stars, if you will, demanding high paychecks, Missy Jovi on a million dollars or whatever the rumor is. That's in the ladies category. I mean, it was, that must have been interesting to see. Yeah, it was just the, it was the sport everybody wanted a piece of mountain biking. And then, you know, downhill mountain biking was, was the, was the, the sexy, fun, outrageous side that mainstream, uh, mainstream America, corporate America wanted a piece of from the alcohol companies. You're like EC probably talked about, you know, cause I was, I was his mechanic on the Barracuda team, yeah, the exactly. Dos Equis yeah, Barracuda yeah. team. And we were, and we had to do. We had to do um, bar signings, like at all the events. Go to these bars and sign posters. The athletes did, not me, of course. Um, and nobody knew who these guys were. Like, but that was that was where the money was coming from. Because the bike brands, you know, maybe the big ones, Trek Specialized, Giant, had had the cash. But a small team like that, um, even though it was it was it was a startup from two rich kids. That started a bike brand, but um, yeah, there's just all this money coming in. Everybody wanted a piece of it, and even again on the ladies' side, you know the 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 autograph lines for Missy, Ankara, Lee, Elka, Marla, and so many of the women were often longer than the than the men's autograph lines, and they're uh, you know collectively. I mean, I'm not. I don't know everybody's salary, but I knew I know what Lee's w- was at the time, and they were. I I think it's what we were talking about at that dinner was. I do credit the mountain bike industry marketers, whoever it was ahead of its time in in fairness and you know a little bit of equity and pay, because a lot every team had to have a woman on it and it wasn't it wasn't because society was telling you it was just i think we just knew it was the right thing to do and yeah there was you know lee did a sports illustrated swimsuit ad for mongoose bikes and marlo was naked on outside magazine so there was the sex appeal component of it missy was probably naked in some ads and or just naked anyway somewhere just naked yeah um so, you know, it's stuff that you, know, you probably get shit on today and, and maybe, maybe rightfully so. Um, but every team had a woman or two or three. There were women's only teams. The salaries were were pretty high for that time. And again, the, the popularity, the exposure, the equal coverage. I don't remember. I think the prize money was was the same. I don't I just don't remember all this. Um polarizing conversation about fair pay and stuff because in that era that mid 90s that sweet spot the women were were for the most part i'm sure you i somebody be a comment somewhere of some 20th place writer like i didn't get paid shit and probably not but there was a there was contracts out there I feel it just seems like more than there is now. Uh, 
So I don't know when I, when I hear about the progress and I, there has been progress in, especially on the women's side, but it's been in the last 10 to 15 years. And you kind of, like a lot of people weren't around in the nineties when that, that equity and fairness was, was, was alive. I don't know if I'd use well, but it was alive. And, um, so again, I just, I credit to the mountain bike industry for being ahead of its time and, and, and this isn't even a me thing. I'm just saying, you know, the industry, the people that did the contracts and, and the, and the women athletes themselves for, I don't know, banding together, but I do know there was a lot of, I feel like Lee and the girls were just, they would talk amongst themselves about the deals they're getting. And of course there was that competition side too, like trying to, trying to weasel in on somebody else's deal and all that stuff. But, um, yeah. Anyways, just props to the mountain bike industry, the, the, the early generation for being ahead of its time with fairness and starting to come full circle again, still work to do. Um, but it was, it was a cool era. I mean, cause it, you know, the whole syndicate, remember the last couple of years, syndicate needs a girl, syndicate needs a girl. And then Nina gets on the team this year and the industry kind of rejoices and it's like, fuck that's where we're at like they signed one girl and everybody's doing backflips i mean yeah we did this in remember 99 we we did this in great positive movement i'm not discrediting the move for getting a a cool talented athlete on the program but that was kind of the norm in the 90s and i guess i'm looking forward to a time when we get to that again where every team has a woman or two um, I, and I don't even know if I, am I going to get canceled for saying any of this? I mean, just, I, I, I don't know. We're discussion. saying it in a I, I don't, I don't manner. even know what's, what's, yeah. What's, what's right or wrong to say. <laughs> you can get canceled for anything these days. So who knows? But yeah, I mean, the industry, like you say, the ass fell out of it there in the early two thousands. That's great to hear. Cause that's when I came into sport that, uh, that explains a few things. Uh, skinny <laughs> South African came over to try and make a wage. <laughs> oh my! Yeah, it was like because I was the I worst was... time when the Aussies came over, um, and like someone and the like Aussies were... Tracy Hanna could win a World Cup, but couldn't even sniff an expense-paying ride. Like, think about that. Yeah, she went on. Yeah, to to win a World. I... Uh, cup overall title which is an incredible way to end her career right she's she can tick that off and shame i mean she basically had a world championship title that one will burn a bit but she had to walk away from the sport go get a normal job for a while there while the sport sort of found its feet again yeah yeah and you know they uh i i got out of this sport 2004 was when i i was from 01 to 04, I was working for Factory GT, and Lee had already retired in 2001. So I kind of I lost a little bit of my interest in traveling and everything without having my wife there. And um, but I continued on, and but man, it was things really slowed down, and you know the budgets I had to sign athletes really shrunk. Um, you know, you had the product people the bean counters telling us we're not selling any downhill bikes like they've dried up and in gt's case coming out of bankruptcy i 
I worked for Schwinn when it went bankrupt in 2000, came back to the resurrected Schwinn GT. Um, and so we were just, we were trying to put the wheels back on the GT bus from 2001 to 2004. And it was really hard. No dealers wanted to carry the bikes. Nobody really wanted to race for GT because it wasn't Steve Pete, Nico, Eric Carter's GT anymore. Right? Like this was the, the resurrection of a train wreck via bankruptcy. Um, but yeah, the budgets shrank and everything just shrank and it was all, road racing just the the lance effect really was the catalyst of, of that i didn't even realize that but hearing it from you it makes perfect sense right the lance effect of him going over there you know winning the tour and then everyone just saying well that's getting tv time this is what everyone's gonna do everyone's gonna ride road now yeah huh yeah oh for sure and it, you know it was the big the big brands that were starting to invest in mountain biking. And I mean, it's a smart play, right? Like road bike sales started increasing road bike exposure started increasing. So of course you're going to, you're going to revamp your road line, your product, um, and keep mountain biking sizzling on the side. Um, and, and, and I think also that was, those were the early days of trail bikes getting better too, right? Like it, it, I don't know, somebody could dispute the the timeline, but 05, 08 is when you could start riding a, a trail bike at the bike park, maybe even racing a local downhill on it or something where you couldn't before, right? Like you had to have a downhill bike. So all this perfect storm of the Lance effect, the road thing, companies shifting dollars into road, um, away from MTB. I think XC was still, you know, a hot spot because of the Olympics, but anyways, and, and then the, those, those big corporate dollars, the visa card, the Coors lights, um, the, the car sponsors, Honda, whatever, Acura sponsor GT. I mean, every team had a car sponsor at one point for big six figure deals. Sometimes, you know, when I worked for, GT that 0104 that Hyundai deal was was I th- I think three three and a half million dollar sponsorship deal and that was for the BMX race team the freestyle team mountain biking road like everything but still a a rich seven figure deal and then when that thing ended and and I think it ended up they started reducing in 04, but I think by 05, they were gone. But anyways, between all those big league um, mass brands checking out of mountain biking, the Lance effect that things just got tougher. But it should have killed, it should have killed downhill racing altogether. The amount of that vacuum sucked out. But I think it's a testament to what an insanely awesome sport it is that it survived through those really hard times i mean to the point of every product manager saying we're not selling any we're not selling any downhill bikes anymore like what are we doing and but then that free caster thing happens right and the live coverage happens and that was your first spark like and the and the and there and people were showing those view the viewership and the ratings and the the live stream numbers where there was interest there. Ooh, there's something here. 
and then ultimately Red Bull taking it over and just really sparked new life into into the sport. But I think it's again, it's a testament of what an amazing sport it is that it has survived through what should have just killed it off, really. I mean, and now here we are with well, <laughs> who knows what the twenty three um exposure viewership side brings, but what, yeah, what can you tell what can you tell us? I I I've been listening you know, I'm not a as a as much of an insider as I used to be. So I'm listening to because you used Your to run a other you podcast. used to run a gossip site stick, which is definitely <laughs> yeah, I don't make I for you. I don't make many notes, right? <laughs> but there is a question that I will not pass by. So let's pause. Yeah. Let's pause. Twenty twenty three. You're not an insider as much anymore. But when you're on the circuit and you almost cost me a damn contract, we can get to that story. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> is www dot sticksandstones.com and it was basically a gossip blog site and it was awesome I, I did used to read it when i was a kid and uh tmz yeah it, it was, was the tmz, TMZ of it was great until i featured on there and then i shat myself and thought my manager was gonna fire me <laughs> well I could have, I should have kept it going. I could have sold it to outside for oh, $20 million. For pay-per-view. You could, have, <laughs> yeah. could have made a pay-per-view, dude. There was some gold on there. So what was that? Yeah, you just a, of... uh, a little free time on the road and just wanted to document? Because the sport didn't have yeah, that it... many outlets, right? That was almost ahead of its time. I think I was frustrated with reading... I'm trying to think of the Vela News covered mountain bike. That was your your main web source for for race kind of on 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 the fly race coverage, and it would usually be next day. You get a little recap of Mount Snow World Cup or Caproon and its time, whatever. That was the closest you came from any sort of up up to up to the minute coverage, and it was always just. The race was here, the weather, so-and-so across the finish line. And there would be a couple little nuggets of so-and-so sat in the hot seat until the last rider, blah, 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 blah. But I'm like, man, they didn't talk about the fight that happened at the bar the Dude, night before. right? Like, yeah, exactly. Everyone wants, so, if you're not there, you want the inside story because you aspire to thought, be these riders. Th yeah, and I thought this sport is different than major league football or whatever or, or, or formula one it's really it's a it's a it's a collection of really unique personalities extremely talented on bicycles gifted athletes like the whole thing and they do these and they do crazy stuff at night like cutting loose not everyone nico for example right or, or even lee like they're asleep at nine o'clock getting ready for the race they're very serious but there there was a lot of people that added the color to the nightlife and i think it started there with talking about the parties and who's shagging who and those kind of things because there was a lot of shagging stories that were like legendary 
And I think I was I'm at least I was white. I'm listening because the site's down, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Have you got the um, archive? No, just on the what's that? The Internet Archive or Wayback Machine dot com? They don't have know. snapshots. Too of old to know what. That Anyways, is. yeah. <laughs> uh, so it just was born out of man. Let's tell the real stories of yeah, the race. That's awesome. And I just got like digital cameras just came out. We went to the we went to the Japan World Cup, and we went to the I forget the name of the district, but I bought a Sony video like little hand cam when they first came out, and a Sony like little DSLR, and I was like, dude, I could update the world. I got to figure out how to make a website. So I learned HTML at the time, PHP coding. You couldn't you couldn't get like a WordPress blog at the time, but I just figured out how to code. Got a got a got a server and just figured it out. And I mean, the pages were so janky. Um, I made some of the artwork so horrible, um, and I just started posting these daily journals of the nightlife stuff. And then, then it started spilling into the stuff that got me in trouble with talking about uh, you know the the technical, the componentry. You know, people aren't using. Here's a picture of a whatever somebody's sponsored by maxis but they're running hutchinson tires this is before maxis got really freaking good at what they do but and sharpies like a lot of the sharpie there was like a sharpie journal of just sharpied out stuff that got people fired up and yeah so it was just born out of like let's tell the real story of what's happening in the background and well there was a lot of humor in it gossipy having fun with it but yeah it pissed some people off and ultimately the, the shittiest part was it just a lot of shit came down on lee like people were coming up to lee before her race did you did you hear what your husband did on a website and she hated it and she was like no i didn't hear what he fucking wrote this time <laughs> i don't want to know and uh well that's fucked up like <laughs> to 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 put your partner in that situation. So I, I guess I toned it down a couple of times and, you know, we had some big fights over it and I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to clean it up. It's just going to be race coverage. And then some shit would happen. Sorry, Jorgensen hooked up with so-and-so in the hotel lobby. <laughs> like, I'm like, Oh, what did you say that for? Yeah, but it, ha I mean, you're like, Hey, uh, it happened. There were other people there. I'm just, yeah yeah oh, and then so, so i was funny. documenting it with with photos too right like i'd do a little blog posts and then put a photo in there of kavarik and rennie wrestling in fort william and so you got to be there a little bit yeah exactly um, most of it was you got to be there right and and that's what we all as fans i'm a fan of so many other sports I, i'd I love to I know met, the inside dirt you know yeah it's locker room talk so many I'd meet these, I'd meet these kids. It's usually at world champs and you know this, especially when you're starting out, if you get on your national team, especially as a junior, um, it's your first international race. You're meeting all the heroes. And I had some random junior kids from all over these, all over the world. I remember the Japanese, all these Japanese juniors, they couldn't even speak English. And they came up to me, oh, sticks and stones, sticks and stone. Oh, and they were so pumped. And just a lot of young, like, I guess it's kind of creepy that 
the fan base early on was these juniors that weren't going to all the races. They dreamed someday of going to the races and they're kind of living out the world cup life through this website. And, uh, yeah, anyways, it was just fun. It was before it's time. You know, this is, I think I ran it from 98 to 2000 two or something like that try three because uh, that's when you almost got me fired do you uh, you don't even know the story do you no you want to hear it it's pretty <laughs> yes. good because it'll bring back memories oh. oh no so i think it's vermont so this is a norba and there's a pool bar down the road now i'm first year over there so i'm one of those kids that probably was living through your site, and 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 then I met my idols. There's Rennie, there's Sam Hill. I'm traveling with the Aussies, so if they say we're going to the bar after the race, I will say that I'm going to the bar to play pool. And uh, yeah, there was a XC rider or two that decided they were coming out to the bar, and these XC oh, rider or two rider 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 Hershey. Correct, ball. and this is a type okay. of. <laughs> Ex- extremely oh, talented athletes <laughs> that potentially got too big for his boots because I mean he had his initials mm. put into the seat of his Escalade in car his Escalade. at the time, so he was pretty rock star for an XC guy. <laughs> looking back, yeah. but um, they decided they wanted to play pool or talk a bit of shit, and then you've got Kavarik, Rennie, maybe Petey was there. I don't know who was actually there, and I'm this little young South African shitty skinny kid in the background. And next thing, all hell breaks loose. There is an altercation. There's a pool cue. There's a glass. There's brokenness. <laughs> yeah. There's half of us on this pool table. Now I'm like, I clearly decided I'm getting involved to protect my fellow athletes that are triple my size and don't need any help. And I think I reached over to try help and or cause shit. And I grabbed, oh, he, what he was doing was he was flicking his chain at Rennie or someone. You know who I am? Yeah. I'm Ryder Hershey doll. And he'd flick his I chain. I remember that you know who I am. So that just, I think I wrote that on that. That just pissed me off. I was like, who the hell flicks his gold chain? I was like, anyway. And then they went at it, and I just saw an opportunity for this gold chain. So naughty little Andrew. I'm not proud of it, but I grabbed the chain. And then they scuffed, and then they left because they were like, we're two against 25 downhillers. And then yeah, I was yeah, all yeah. proud, and I went up to the downhillers that were my idols. Look what I got. I got their chain. They're like, oh, that's great. <laughs> and then he came back in the barn. I think Liam, I was his teammate on Trek. I think I became his teammate later, which was more awkward. He came in. He's like, who's got his chain? You know how much that thing cost? Give him his chain back. And then I was all cocky and just threw it on the table. Yeah. A harmless bit of fun. Scenario. Behind closed yeah. doors until it made it on the website. And someone emailed oh, me, maybe my dad. Boy. He was like, oh. uh, <laughs> what's going on here? You might not want Martin Whiteley to see that because I was on Global at the time. <laughs> That's right. That was great. That's I'll never forget that story. It's so good. Well, he and was I'm a teasing do- he was you. A doper. I, he was a doper too. So Who was it? Who was? Both of them. Ryder was. Oh, did he get popped? Oh, he did in the when he went on to the, road on the road. Yeah, yeah, he had yeah. too much. He must have done Cheers. testosterone at that time as well. I remember. I remember that night, and I I, I do remember posting that. And I, every time I did that dumb shit, I, I, there was a, like 
you got the, the 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 little angel and the devil on your shoulder and uh, yeah i don't think it was that stupid. dumb it was pretty funny but then i was like oh shit no if but you, to, but to like, share those to share it, those story yeah. to share those stories knowing that they could get people it would be like someone putting it on their so insta stupid. story or their reel these days you know you're like oh shit like the time yeah who punched g josh at mount sanan Anyway, I don't think. Oh yeah. Like yeah. so, that spreads in the industry. But luckily, I think we were aware of social media, so we didn't put it out there, right? There, or did Sam Dale a... punch him? I don't really remember. But these things happen. It... We've got a bunch of ego-driven, testosterone-filled, extreme athletes that are not drinking for weeks on end, preparing for these races. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, then yeah. win or lose, there's a little bit of a. Not saying it's healthy, but there's a little bit of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you need to blow off some steam. And often it happens at the after party, right? Or there's some girls around and you haven't seen a girl in months because you've been in some small (laughs) European town, you know? So, yeah, it's a recipe for disaster. There were some some girl fights. I remember in Caproon. I forget. I forget the two downhill. They were one was an Austrian. Anyway, I, I may. Have, I think I posted some pictures of it on sticks and stones, like the aftermath of them rolling on the on the bar. So you in the boom bar. Everything everything was always you, at the boom bar. You had your um, camera out at the bar. It's so TMC. You were the paparazzi. Yeah, and I guess since nobody was doing it, it was just. I guess people would have thought it was like sticks holiday tourism <laughs> snapshots to show his but, daughter one day yeah but later turned into which <laughs> you know now people do it for the views right the likes and the views and the and, you know if you're a media outlet it's to clickbait yeah to to get more clicks and all that and i wasn't making any money i i didn't even i i, I reviewed the analytics i was interested in it um but yeah, it was just anyway. Yeah, and I mean, so many people wanted me to bring it back, even to this day. But hell no, I, 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 I played around with the idea of creating a WordPress blog, giving three anonymous randos, you know, that I knew the logins, because I wasn't going to the World Cups. Because I, you know, I only nowadays I only go to a World Cup a year. Um, and I want to know those gossip stories. And people are like, why do you want to know that stuff? Why do you care? I'm like, I don't know, but I do. So <laughs> I, I do. It's some... the, it's the locker room. Like, who doesn't want to know what actually went on or behind the scenes? That's why it's so cool to go yeah. to a race, even as a fan. And we, it comes up so much. Like, if you're a fan of mountain biking or downhill or, get to one of these world cups it's just so different in person to see them come past you in practice and, and walk around the pits and maybe overhear a conversation or there's a different energy on race day so um, yeah but it, you know it's you know a, they invented twitter for that you could just make a twitter oh musk would be stoked right. on that dude elon he's all about free speech you can do whatever you want you're right right <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I'm telling you, clown on him. Then he's going to suspend your account. I don't use Twitter anymore. I would only use it to piss you off and post um, my boarding pass or my airplane. 
I don't know if you remember it. I would be. I think I would tag you because yeah, you like yeah, you yeah. know the classic boring like I'm on the way to the oh, race. Yeah. Here's the airplane. Yeah. I'm on the way to the race. Here's my boarding pass. I would do that it's on like Twitter the, for a while just to fuck with you. You hated like, it so oh, I, much. I love it. It's like the Supercross fireworks shot. Anaheim one with the fireworks. The cliche yeah, yeah. opening round. Oh, that one's that one's exhausting. <laughs> but you know, exhausting. like back to back to sharing stories and knowing these inside but like that's what i did that website for because there wasn't social media and now you get now you i mean i guess in some capacity you get for some people too much information right tmi yeah yeah i even i think we talked about this a little bit at whistler was you know, the concussions and head injuries and the stories people are sharing are good that they're out there, of course, to bring awareness to other riders. But man, when that becomes the, like all you're talking about, it is, it's tough. It's tough to read. Um, that that's just every update is a, is a concussion symptom update. And you feel for these riders, but I don't know. There's times I'm like, man, just delete the app off. I don't know, but I know it's, I, I know that's your job, but you know, sponsors want that crap, but anyway, it's a, well, you've been a, you've been in that position, right? So you moved over to Troy Lee and I'm not sure the exact transition from out of mechanicing and, 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 and you can catch me up, but you did land it. Troy Lee as a team manager, as an athlete team manager, would that be the correct term? And marketing, I know you you wore a few more hats than just that. Yeah, when I when I got there, I was there eleven years. I, I left two months, three months ago. Um, but when I got there, it was solely resurrecting, um, basically resurrecting the program Mike Redding built, which was an impressive program. But he left the company to go to Fox. And there was like a year gap at Troy Lee Designs, like the 2010, 2010 era. Um, kind of that, I mean, the pinnacle for TLD, right? You know, he had everybody, Hill, Rennie. Yeah, yeah. No, I... PD on helmets, like... I was there for some of the photo shoots and then building the brand and really believing in athletes. And that yeah. made me realize the power of building, getting the right athletes to tell your story and, and your brand. Yeah. Right? So, so, so when he left, there was a year gap, Troy calls me up. I was working at intense doing marketing, uh, for intense cycles. Troy calls me up. Anyway, long story short, I go to TLD to resurrect what I call Mike Redding's program because it was, it was his baby. Um, and in that demise of, you know, him leaving athletes left, the program was just, I don't know if I'd say left in a shambles, but there wasn't anybody it, the 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 company Troy's first love is Moto, and he was starting that. Well, not starting the Moto team was existing, so all eyes were on the Moto team, and bike had just fallen by the wayside, honestly. And so he wanted somebody to come in and and pick up where Redding left off, and you know it was a challenge at first, but that was a sole job was sports marketing, the athlete program, media communications. And, uh, so rebuilding the athlete program, you know, took a bit 
and then to today, what I think it's one of the best athlete programs for, you know, for, for what TLD bike revenue is to what the athlete program is to what the return on the exposure from those athletes. I think it's one of the best programs out there and a ton of women on the program. There wasn't any women on the program when I got there. Um, now there's quite a few ladies on, on TLD. Super proud of that. And still a lot of work to do, but yeah, it was starting out as the athlete program, which later the last five or six years at TLD was, was product management, creating all the product lines, revamping everything, but still having, um, oversight of the athlete program. And, uh, later on Tim Daniels, good friend of mine, who's now running the athlete program at TLD took over the reins of that. But, but yeah, to what you topic you're bringing up was how much emphasis is on that social media component. And we never, I guess we probably didn't do a good job of enforcing it or policing it or shoving it down your throat. I always made it a mission to first and foremost, partner with athletes that fit the brand, right? Like these gotta be people that, um, like the brand, like the product, or even if they were new to it, understand it and, um, really respect, really respect what Troy Lee has built. Um, you know, I, I left for a variety of reasons. One of them was Troy and I just, we started just arguing so much and battles on, on product direction, not so much marketing. He kind of just trusted on that, but he's, he's a product guy and he fought tooth and nail on, on any idea we had. Um, but we just, that friendliness, like, like everybody, people that hang out with Troy know good times, fun party, Troy. And that's who I knew first. And then it turned into this different relationship. And like, when I told him I was leaving, I'm like, dude, I just want to be buddies again. Like it's so every conversation is just not productive anyways, left on good terms. But, um, so he, he always trusted on the, on the marketing side. And so bringing athletes to that brand was, it's gotta be a good fit for the brand people you want to hang out with off the bike too. Right. Like that matters a lot. So what's that, what's that like? Cause you, you form these friendships with these riders, but then you've got to do salary negotiations or start following up on social media or I don't know, you know them so well, you might know if they're sandbagging or not. Like, what is that? <laughs> like, what's that like? I think I always, and this is not a good, I would not advise other, uh, sports marketing managers to, to have this philosophy, but you, you partner with these athletes for, again, like I said, the reasons that you do with understanding the brand, good fit for the brand, but also most of the time you got to know these people before you sign them and you know what kind of people they are, you know what their strengths are on social media. Like, uh, Brandon Semina, he is a creative, I mean, an unbelievable talent, right? But he's also a creative person off the bike with how he posts his images, what he posts, when he posts. You're never going to get a, buy this new A3 helmet from Troy Lee Designs. So you always left it to people like him 
at some point, talk about the helmet in your own way. And it doesn't need to be preachy by this shit, but however you want to do it, trust you. And you always got gold from him with, with those. And you see a lot of brands, riders just reposting the same mindless PR communications that the brand put out and everybody posting the same thing. If it's a tagline or a campaign theme name, I get it. But like when it gets the real wordy, let the athlete, that's why you partner with these athletes to, um, to help their brand out as well as the, as the brand that they've signed with, but speak from their voice. And I think we always had really good luck and good traction. Um, I was talking to Tim the other day at TLD and they just did a digital audit, um, with it, with this company and the scoring was phenomenally well for the brand. And so, yeah, just letting the athletes speak from their own voice and their own creative ways. Um, I, and sometimes you got, I would see stuff and like, oh my God, that's terrible. <laughs> but it's on, it's on us as the marketers for not um, giving them, God. pointing them in the right direction. Yeah. Like giving them a little bit of guidance or be like, okay, his, his strength is not creative or the text. Let me help him yeah. with the text yeah. a bit here. It could come across totally not like salesy. That, it could just come off a bit more authentic or like, let me help him with his brand. For yeah, sure. That's it. For sure. And, and when the program gets, you know, the TLD program, you know, is up to, I don't know, 20, 25, 30 athletes, you know, salaried, a list, whatever you want to call it. Is it that many in mountain biking? Uh, there's BMX in there too. That's counting, you know, but not counting. TLD motor. has some. No, yeah, I that's don't, pretty I don't big. Know that's pretty the... big. Like, yeah, it's probably it's bigger than I thought. Six or seven, like, and TLD has the pinnacle BMX. You know, with Elise and Sam Willoughby, Neek Kim and Bethany Shriver, um, Felicia Stancil, like a fucking kick ass. Cam Wood, a kick-ass BMX team. So that's included in there. BMX race. Um, and there's some freestyle BMXers. Really just one, Nikita Dukaros, who got bronze at BMX freestyle Olympics. But um, when the program gets so big you and the company gets big, and in my case, having to have eyes on a huge product, um, SKU count, portfolio of products, development with the designers and you lose some of that focus, right? To know which athletes are going to need a little help. Cam, Brandon, Brendog. Well, Brendog needs a little, he needs a little push once in a while to, to make a post. To make a post. <laughs> when he does post something, it's, it's a quality, <laughs> it's a quality post. Um, but, uh, and so, yeah, that's why that's the other shitty part about this is you always have people you want to, work with oh, i want to sign that rider they're, they're they seem so fun and uh, to work with and it gets to the point where the team's just you may have you may have the budget but you don't have the i hate using that bandwidth word but to provide quality service and you never want to get to the point where athletes are i can't get a hold of you or it took too long to get my product because they're just buried um and that's that's and TLD, especially smaller company, you know, getting acquired recently, you know, watching the funds, headcount, you know, it's it's 
it's tough to 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 turn away riders that you really want to bring into the program um but you still want to provide really good service and make these athletes not just feel like they're a number on a spreadsheet and you know part of the family and you're reaching out to them checking in all that stuff and i think we did a pretty good job at tld and um but the demands on social are really well, at tld and i'd know uh i know of you know lee's worked with some bike brands in her recent before she she works for ceram as well the socal field guide but before that she had some bike partnerships sponsors and 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 some of these social media demands i was like you know with with the amount of posts per month and the amount of tags and like real specific and it just you know for some people that just doesn't work Lee's not a social media assassin. She's a she's a human human connection. Yeah, human in person, person. Her value is way more powerful in person, right? I I would yeah. say that when I'm around her, her energy and her experience, you know. Yeah. So so leaning on somebody like Lee for social media power, it's going to be different than uh, somebody that just does that stuff really well. Um, but yeah, it's tough because it's such a it's such a tired topic too, right? <laughs> like, but I mean, it's it's like catch twenty two because if you put too many demands on it, then it's going to not be authentic, and then you're going to lose followers or someone unfollows you. And like, the goal is for your follow account, in theory, to go up, or at least for the engagement to be positive. Thus, for the company's followership or engagement to be positive. But then when you are focusing so heavily on social media and the directive towards an athlete, I think you, you lose that. It's not authentic. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, each, each athlete has different values. Like you said, some are better in person, some are better on racing, some are better creatively. And, and I guess you've got to just understand why you signed that athlete and, and remember like, unless He's totally changed who he is. That's why you signed them in the beginning. Did you sign them because they get a million likes or did you sign them yeah. for whatever value you saw at the time? So that's an interesting one. But it's like, I, isn't I remember... everyone under pressure? Like you had a boss and then that guy's getting acquired. So, and then that trickles down, you know, because you've got to give your marketing guy some analytics for him to then kind of convince his boss that you need to get re-signed. So it's like an evil cycle. Yeah, and if, and if I guess it's up to the marketer to convince the powers that be that you know for certain ambassadors, partners, athletes, the social measurement, social media measurement is just one component of it, and then leaning into their other strengths. Um, if if they have a weak, there are some that have that gold, just money social analytics, right? And you don't need to tell them the other stuff, but there are some that their numbers may not be impressive. I think I had this conversation with, it wasn't Troy because Troy's just not, he's not digitally savvy. Like he is a, he is a human interaction person. Right. And I remember him, he was always like, cause I would, Luca Shaw, I was, when I met the kid, him and Walker, when they were 12 and 13 years old, was when I first got to TLD, I met them at the Sea Otter parking lot with their dad. And I, th I think we were, kind we were sponsoring like 50% off kit 
to their team they they had and so there was a bit of a relationship started there i met them in the parking lot and i i remember they referenced some old school shit like john tomac or something like yeah john tomac was sick or i don't remember the exact but it was through their dad doug doug shaw was like he's a kind of old school mountain biker and he kind of gave him a little some of the history lessons i guess and just their reference to the old school made me immediately like ooh these are new school kids like that are 20 years removed from John Tomac, but they know who he is. I like these kids. But anyways, fast forward to good friends of mine now. And I was, I love those guys, but in Luca's case, I was fully invested in him. Like he's the next great American downhiller. And this was like Troy Lee designs was getting out of the Gwyn deal. You know, we had a, five-year Troy designs had a five-year run with Gwyn and then when it ended you know Troy was he was really couldn't understand you know my move on that and I explained why and it wasn't we weren't pivoting dollars into Luca it was just we're going to invest more in Luca and we're investing more in BMX and investing more blah 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 because we basically took that Gwyn money and spread it spread it out throughout the program and that was, you know, that was part of my design back in the day. That was a big deal for TLD when we first signed Gwyn. And, uh, but I knew that if this deal ever comes to an end, there's an extra X amount in the, in the, in the coffers, right. That I've been striving to get for years. Right. So, so thanks. Thanks. Anyways, Gwyn. We took that money. <laughs> we took that money. We spread it out. Um, you know, picked up quite a few riders, invested more in the ones we had. And I remember this conversation about Luca with Troy and somebody told Troy, like showed Troy Luca's social media, which was just, you know, average, you know, he doesn't post a lot. Um, and I just, I told him straight up, I'm like, we're not investing in Luca Shaw for his social media channel. He's not a social media guy or investing in him for the future of, of American downhilling. And, and sure enough, it's, it's what, it's, it's what you got. Um, and, it, and product development, he was always really good at, um, providing feedback on products, helmets, knee pads, gloves. And, um, and so it's those things I, as the manager of that program had to lean into more was what his value, what he brings to the table outside of social, because, and in it, the importance of social has ebbed and flowed and with the people you deal with. Um, yeah, that's just a strategy I had to use was I don't have, I don't have a lot of strong analytics to show on social for this particular rider, but I got some really great reasons why on the other end. Um, and, and even the local, the East coast scene, um, that was an area where the, where the brand needed some help. Um, so it's a territorial regional type thing. So you just got to dig into those other reasons. If, if I guess my point is it's okay. It's, it's okay. If your social media presence isn't just kick-ass, you know, what, what, what is your value in other areas? Because there wasn't Instagram and TikTok, whatever years ago and athletes had value. So dig into that a little more. I know it's hard to convince the right people, but, um, yeah, there's definitely 
value uh, for athletes outside of, and then there's, I've, I've been in conversations recently where the only measurement is, you know, in the job I'm doing now, you know, working with some of the acquired brands and looking at social media as the key metric. It's like, okay, that is something to look at, but what else do they offer? And I just, I just keep sharing that with people. And a lot of people know that better than me, understand it. I've learned that from people, but I guess it's, there's still people out there that are need to stop using social as the only value point for, for an athlete, partner, ambassador, marketer, or whatever. Yeah, you'd be a good guy because the question always comes up or it slips into my DMs or brand dogs, you know, it's how, how do I get sponsored? How do I get stuff for free? I'm like, Mate, you are literally asking the wrong question. If you get Brendog to reply, you do not want to know that answer. You want to know, how the fuck do I look so good on a bike like you? Because that's why Brendog's sponsored. Or how do I get a World Cup when I'm a junior? That's how he gets sponsored. And he built a brand from there. And yes, now there's some interesting experience that Brendog can teach me. I'm a little bit older than him and he caught on to the social media earlier than me. I can learn from him. Maybe that's a question I should ask him. But, (laughs) you know, and that comes up and you're like the perfect guy. You've just been through all these generations. So you see the value from all sides. Then you've been a team manager that would technically hire one of these kids, which I appreciate them sending the questions. I appreciate them listening to the podcast. That's what this podcast is. It's basically the audio version, hopefully, of Sticks and Stones, hopefully doing you some justice or some that you can be stoked. You can share some stories there. But like, let's add we'll some value. It. Let's share the experience that we've had through the industry. And we've got an awesome life and lifestyle from it and your families because of the industry. Um, yeah. yeah. So we get that question a lot. How, I mean, that's just how do I get sponsors or probably how do I get more followers? Important, Ugh. but not the most important the fo- topic. Yeah. I, we just saw a thing on the news. Lee and I are watching something. The guy that made that Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. Oh, or something, yes. Yeah. The, the producer of that thing. Forgot the so guy's name. Is that the guy name, that buys, likes, and takes the four random people and makes them famous? Is it that one? Because there's a few, right? Is it that one? No, but I think he talks. This guy produced a. I think it's called The Social Dilemma. He produced a documentary on basically how toxic social media okay. is. So they were interviewing him about that show and he just, he just rattled off just one interesting um, stat. They did a, I'm paraphrasing what the guy said, but they did a survey of, I want to say, forget the age group, let's go 13 to 16 or 16 and under kids in China and in the United States on what they want to be when they grow up. And the, the Chinese kids in that polling set, data set, said they want to be an astronaut and the kids in America said they want to be an influencer. Yeah. YouTuber influencer. I saw that article. I saw the headline. Yeah. That's, that's horrifying. Right. Um, (laughs) What do you want to do when you grow up? Be famous. It's like, but the people that are famous that, you know, did it because of a skill set and became world-class by work and sacrifice. So to your point, to your point, the sponsors sponsorships partnerships as a as a grom bike person they will come 
if you work on your 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 skills if that's what if that's what you you want to do the best manuals then start filming the longest manuals like as long as you and brendog down some mountain road like kind of stuff where you're just i watch that stuff i'm like holy shit you know what i mean like put the work in on the on the um on the skill that you're trying to be known for right not crafting your social account or or you know, back in the day, it was how do I put together a bitchin' resume to get sponsored? <laughs> like, and people would have like, I, I mean, still today, right? I would see people send in these amazing PDFs of their, you know, these 15, 20 page PDFs looking for sponsors. And they, some of them were unbelievable. Like, it looked like a major big league ad agency put them together. But oftentimes it was just a bunch of fluff, right? what are you doing on the bike? What are you doing to inspire people, real people in your community or whatever it is? Cause that stuff matters. And those are harder things to measure and show people. I, that's for sure. Again, back to Lee, when she was looking before she has the job she has now was trying to get partnerships. And I would go to these clinics and I know all the, there's so many riders now that do clinics and you go to them and you watch these coaches teach people how to ride their bike better, either be safer on their bike or do a certain skill that they want to know how to do bunny hop, jump a double, whatever. And at the end of the day, they're doing it and they're the, 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 the stoke on their faces and their energy of performing that thing that they couldn't do when the day started I'm always like, how do you put that in a bottle? And, um, and, and, and yeah, people post that on their social, on their stories, right? Yeah. I did a clinic today and people learn how to bunny hop, but man, when you're in there, when you see it in person, you talk to these people, we got this local bike park, sky park up in Lake Arrowhead. And there's a lot of clinics that go down up there. And I, I watch people with my eyeballs and talk to them. It's, and they're just so I had a great day learning skills and they're now going to be more confident on the bike and have more fun. And it's uh, the whole education side of riding is a whole nother, whole nother thing to, that's a whole nother topic, but um, it just doesn't get covered. Like it, I don't, is it like rampage? You have to go to rampage to see it, to just the magnitude of, of, of it. I, I was one that clowned on that event. Rampage is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. So dumb. And then I went and I was like, oh my God, these, these, these aren't just hacky senders off of the cliff types. Like, and I'm not even comparing Rampage to a skills clinic. No, no, no. no, no. I'm too scared to go to in, Rampage. The in-person, the in, the in-person, uh, just human interactions, man. Like, how do we get back to that being valuable? But it is, man. It is. This. You think about like the club pro in golf. Like I follow a lot of golf. Like if you go get a lesson, the dude fixes your swing, you have a bit more confidence and you go hit it a bit better. And maybe you engage with him about what clubs he uses. Hey, he might be sponsored. He might give you a discount, but he's credible, right? You trust him. 
So being like a coach, you start being trusted. So maybe the next bike, they just see what you want and say, okay, I trust you. I trust your opinion. And maybe subliminally you can actually sell, you can almost actually quantify that a bit. You know, is it about, I see it in my shop, these guys that transition and ride with me from a XE bike and they, and they like marathon because South Africa is very marathon based in the beginning and we're behind the curve. Yeah. And we go for a ride and they sort of see how much fun we're having. And then now they don't really want to do stage racing. They realize bike parks exist. Um, and maybe they end up, whether they end up on a squad or not, a lot do maybe, but I can see that directly. But also I see them on a 150 bike because they go, oh, that's that's cool. And I just think like yeah. on the ground level coaching and, and this sort of ambassadorship is critical to the industry as well. You know, that that base level education point. Because the core fan yeah. is probably watching Red Bull or watching World Cups and fucking Bruni's on the latest X. Yeah, that's I'm going to buy those grips. <laughs> cool. But you yeah. also can't prove if he did or not, right? So that's quite hard to quantify these likes and numbers. Yeah. Yeah, there was a – I just went to Bentonville, Arkansas my first time. It's the mountain bike capital of the world. Well, um, it, and uh, for the amount of trails they have, they're trying to be that, aren't they? It's insane. That's that's what they're that's what they're claiming, and um, it was an interesting place. I went for the BLC, the Bicycle Leadership Conference, and I went to an e-bike subcommittee meetup the first day, and it was ran by People for Bikes, which is our our U.S. lobby for bicycles, doing doing some great work. And so they led this thing out. And long story short, especially e-bike specific. I, and I said this in the meeting, I was, I'm a little bit frustrated with just everything being lumped in e-bikes. I think EMTBs, you know, what, what I ride class one EMTBs, the, the concerns and the conversations are different than, than riding my, I have a street e-bike that I run errands on my grocery getter bike, right? those concerns for those two different bikes are, are very different, different conversations in, in some capacity. And we're just lumping everything into e-bike, but that's a whole nother thing. Anyways, the goal of this meeting was like core major issues to tackle. And we all came out of that meeting with education is number one, especially like the EMTBs, Sure. I, we all see people out on an EMTB and the newbies are kind of sketchy and whatever. They're watching YouTube videos or learning from a friend, some couple basic skills. I see some sketchy stuff, but not, not anywhere near as scary as the people on the streets, on the cargo bikes, on the Super 73s here in Southern California, all over the beach communities, the, all those like class two throttle pedal bikes, dude, it's the scariest thing to watch. You could sit at a traffic light pretty much anywhere, Huntington beach, Laguna beach, any of those beach communities. I mean, they're everywhere, but beach communities have, have these bikes a lot. And you see an accident, almost accident every time these people, they don't know basic fundamentals of riding a bike, even how, how much brake to grab, what side the brakes on. So, that's the big, like, if we're going to keep this thing going, and this is totally unrelated to probably your audience, right? Like the, the street cheapo hub, hub motor e-bikes, but people 
are getting an act. There's a thing on bicycle retailer. They just posted some, I want to say 200, 300% increase in, in accidents on e-bikes with really? vehicles and pedestrians. And so they have the data that people are getting accidents and I'm, I've, I'm seeing it. It's an anecdotal story, but man, I see it anytime I'm out in those beach communities here in Southern California, somebody's almost getting plowed by a car because they don't know how to ride the bike. And I'm not saying they need to go to the local bike park and do, you know, radical skills training. Like, they just need to know the basics of like, don't go, don't go around the corner with your pedal down, like your left pedal down, like those kind of things, right? So, what you and think they're gonna like have to institute a license or some sort of that, course? That's, you have that's to what do? the conversations. That's the that's the slippery slope. Is if it gets to like vehicle registration and licenses and having to take you know, mandatory skills court, then it's like, oh crap. Then we just put the brakes on selling these things. Well, I mean, so Uber, I don't know, partnered with Lime or whatever it's called. So I'm in London yeah. and you get these e-bike, I mean, they are heavy as shit, right? These commuter, yeah, 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 yeah. like bomb-proof things, like you can barely flat the tires. Obviously for me, that's fun. <laughs> so I hop on with my... um the missus and um i've taken her riding she's like super cable on the road and actually on the mountain bikes like for being a newbie but that's a bit intimidating for her riding around london like there's the red buses and the taxis i'm like oh my yeah. goodness i am scared shitless but i'm very it's, competent yeah, it's with scary this. for an expert i'm like been riding on the road all my life training so i can spot a car being an idiot a mile away hopefully hopefully yeah yep. you can never spot them all so imagine even being somewhat competent on a bike, but you haven't been on the road that much on a bike. Like it's, it is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's even, that's back to the, I think we've all seen somebody, especially recently on these bikes riding sketchy or I don't know. I saw a guy on a, we have bike. I, don't, I think they're sold worldwide, but a brand called rad power. That's like one of the really popular e-bikes mail order e-bikes they're they're heavy so they have like a moto style the dual dual prong um, kickstand underneath the bottom bracket so it's not a kickstand but it's like a anyway i saw a guy riding with that thing down like hanging down and he was kind of sketchy i'm like oh this guy's a total newbie i'm gonna you know offer him, him some advice he was at a, he was at a stop <laughs> he was at a stoplight i was on my road bike I'm like, hey, do you know your kickstands down? He didn't even know what kickstand, like terminology. So I got off my bike and I pulled it up with my hand. And again, offering, there was a helpful tip to a random stranger. Um, but it's like, how does how does an athlete ambassador, whatever, measure those sort of scenarios and it, like does it need measurement no you're just doing a good human deed right um but i don't know some days i i feel for these athletes trying to not even just athletes but people that are looking to partner with brands and provide value and i just know right now education is i think our biggest it's our biggest concern with keeping these covid bike boom adopters 
we want to keep them engaged and interested and safe and having fun. And that's going to come through education. And I guess what's encouraging as much as I hate to admit it is a lot of the YouTube writers, you know, that just, they're, they're, nobody knows who they are, but now they got this channel that's got a lot of views and a lot of followers and subscribers. And I think, you know, I'm a fan of riders like yourself, insane talent on a bike. And, and so then when I see people that aren't so talented, getting these huge, um, followings and whatnot, there was a time when it bothered me, but then I hear these stories of these, these YouTubers with people saying, Hey, I just started following your account and I learned a couple things and fuck, it might be the wrong, the wrong technique. What we think as savvy bike riders, the wrong technique, but if they're helping somebody that isn't tuned into world cup people or mainstream vital MTBs or whatever, like they just found mountain biking through, sorry to say, but kooky youtuber but they got something from it then i gotta be okay with that you know Dude, you've, <laughs> you've you've I've, come a long way stick you've come <laughs> you've come a long way i must say not not for one that's scared of of speaking his mind i i have to agree i i probably went through a similar stage of like fuck's sakes like i've poured my heart and soul into the sport but i was late on the social media or i'm <laughs> late on the youtube or whatever it may be but at, at the same time you have to be comfortable in your own skin and what value you bring and whether that's on the ground great if it's through youtube and you have an audience that is broad or getting into the sport hey that's awesome because the more people that bike and and start getting educated and maybe he upgrades to going for an actual in-person lesson with a certified coach or, or whatever it may be that actually gets them, if he's getting misinformation, that I hate, that's a fucking shit word. I need to maybe bleep, oh, bleep yeah. that one out. <laughs> self-edit. Yeah, self-edit. I'm not going to edit this one though. Um, yeah, I think it's cool, but to your point, I'm also on board. Uh, the more the merrier. I mean, I'm in a bike shop. People were like, oh, sorry, I um, didn't buy you know the bike brand you guys stock. I'm like, I don't give a shit. That would be cool if you do. Like, yeah. come say high five, have a coffee, ride the trails. Are you getting a bike? Great. That's a win. I'll see you on the totally. trails. Yeah. You have to never. I'll see you on the trails. And But there's a problem, I think, is knowing the industry now from that side. Like, I understand direct-to-consumer. I understand where the world's going. I'm I'm not a dinosaur that doesn't want to adapt. But that base level knowledge is just comes from the store so often, like that in person, like, yeah. hang on, I know you saw it on YouTube. That's kind of correct. But if you look at it this way, this is actually what we found really works. Try this. Yeah. You know? Oh, for sure. Like I know the, you've the, assembled the, the bike off YouTube, but the brake hose is meant to go on the inside of the fork. <laughs> just try that. I saw a guy post his bike on Reddit the other day, the mountain bike subreddit he bought an intense which is now their 951 brand he bought it at costco which is a big mass market store that intense <clears throat> well 951 selling in there which i think caused an uproar with some of the mountain bike cool crowd but like what's what's the problem you know uh 
you, you, you creating access to a new set of consumers that, um, may not ever go into a bike shop. But that being said, the guy's fork was backwards in the picture he showed. Check out my new bike. And the fork was backwards, but you know, the bars were Did you were screenshot on this live and you sent this to me? Oh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, is, it, is it internet lore? Did the guy make it up? I don't know, but we've seen this stuff happen before and it goes back to the importance of the shop. And I've started visiting you know, going with Lee to her shop visits, just hopping in her car and when she does a big dealer visit day and that's, I would always do very minor dealer visits when I was at TLD, but now in my new role at SRAM, it's, it's called new growth and it's, um, you know, we're looking at brands to partner with for, for growth in the business. And that could also be internal with existing SRAM brands or acquiring brands, um, components, accessories, whatever. So there's part of the, part of that work is going into the shops is really helpful for me. And, um, it's been really good to get reacquainted with the, with the dealers and the importance of the dealers and what they offer. Um, and it can't be, it can't be underestimated what that, what that shop community provides, um, in, in knowledge from the local riding areas to set up tips. Um, it was at that BLC thing in Bentonville, Chris Kokalis, the pivot cycles owner, founder, I don't know what he, his title is the boss man. Um, when we were talking about this education on these e-bike things, but then you know, we started focusing on the EMTB. He just had a, you know, it was a, it was a spitballing round table. And he's like, even if it's like when you buy that new bike and while they're getting it ready in the back of the shop, you know, whatever, just making sure everything's tight and clean it up. They got to watch a five minute or whatever, two minute basic tips video. Like that's part of the buying process. Um, and of course you're going to get some experts that are like, dude, I've been riding 30 years. I don't need to watch the video, but just while you, whatever it is, while you're, taking care of the payment, setting up financing, slapping your credit card down, watch this, watch this short video on basic brake lever usage. Um, you know, what, what not to do stuff like whatever it is. Again, nobody sussed out the details of it, but, and maybe brands or some brands already do it. You could find that stuff on the internet, right? There's probably a hundred videos on, you just bought your first mountain bike. What, what tips, but making people making sounds like a bad word, but I don't know. That was just some random ideas that we had in that in that meeting. But good though, isn't it? I mean, I just started. I think we launched the second episode with Shimano, and and uh, we did basic how to. So I had to simplify it to the basic level because, hey, not everyone was lucky enough to have parents that got them into mountain biking, and I went on to race. Yeah. Right. What about the guy that's getting into it that's too scared to even walk into his bike shop, right? Like you said with the YouTube. So we wanted to give it a give it a spin on that. And and they got some really good views on the EMTV version of it, because that's obviously a yep. very newbie. And it was cool to do it, you know, just basic from brake setup, bar roll to, you know, and you've got to dumb it down. And that's really, really important. And I think that's where bike shop comes in. And those videos could be key. It's a good idea, is 
let's be honest how much you've been riding maybe watch this video have any questions and the costco thing if those bikes are still in there i i look at it that that's maybe a new person to mountain biking or a person that is getting back into it and wanted a deal but eventually he gets educated or he might stumble into the next bike shop that's more a core bike shop and you gain a client that way you might not sell him his first bike or his first bike back into the sport but you might help him with a tire and and go from there yeah and it's the same thinking with the direct-to-consumer brands is you know the the shop isn't going to get that margin dollar but the hope is that they come in for the service for the tire replacements the brakes brake pads whatever um and you know we are seeing that i went to a shop in san diego that this guy's pivoting his whole shop to just a service model he's not going to sell bikes anymore because he's got his service side is so busy and again it's one of those big e-bike communities with with the with the rad runners and super 73s running all over town and he's fixing those things all day long you know they're kind of oftentimes inferior components they're they're getting a bashing from just again back to that newbie rider um shifting like under load and all that kind of stuff um and it'll take time but the industry's got a is starting to put together educational platforms but it's it's got to ramp up because we we inherited a whole new group the the group that we've been lusting after for years we need new riders we need new riders and we got them we were given tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of them and we got to keep them safe and engaged and uh keep their bikes running like we're, we're at the point now where all these bikes that were bought are st- going to start needing some service and falling apart. And it's got to be a, it's got to be an enjoyable process, right? Like they got to go either a back to the shop that they bought it from. And hopefully they had a good experience when they bought it or B they bought it online from a D to C and they got to find a shop and just hopefully that's a pleasant experience. And, um, but yeah, keeping keeping them rolling is key right now, because we've all, I think we've all taken part in some hobby interest that if it became difficult, you're just like fuck this, I'm, I I can't even be bothered. Whatever it is, like, um, whatever we're all we're all involved in something that we got into and we just don't do it anymore. Um, photography, like me, I was all into photography. I wanted to be the next Sven Martin, but. <laughs> I sold everything because I'm like, this is a nightmare to make money at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amen. Well, um, I want to be except for Sven. He, he he's a the Sven Syndicate. Yeah, but he's a he's a he's got 17 houses. He's a hustler. Like he works his ass off. I mean, if you see him at a World Cup, <laughs> he doesn't sleep. So Forward. everyone can be like, oh, Sven's out there and blah blah blah. But I mean, dude, that guy. That guy dug it out in the dirt. That guy literally finished oh the World God. Cup race run, probably flattered, um, and then raced up to shoot finals in his full gear, sweaty, hasn't showered, and he's out there he's hustling, gnarly. digging out the dirt. It's it's cool to see. But uh, does it. yeah, between you and him, definitely going to get an opinion <laughs> of the mountain bike industry. Stick what? Um, 
who, who, I mean, it's probably hard to define one, but could you narrow it down of like some of the most impressive shit you've seen on a bike or athletes you've been around or because you've been to these generations and obviously everyone had something different, but. Oh man. I you always fall back to your recent, not to your brain, your brain sticks with, but uh, Brandon Semenuk working with him all those years, the process, he, he's just, uh, I mean the, the athlete side, but how he approaches everything is something I just been in awe of, um, a film project or a competition, right? Those are the two main, those are, those are Brandon Seminuk's, um, revenue drivers, if you will. And he just approaches everything in a way I've never seen before. I, I, I guess like in what way, what is these film projects like that you've been privy to see? What does it look like? I mean, we all see that we see the end version, right? Yeah. I mean, it starts with just, and not that he's any different on film projects. It probably starts the same as when everybody does a film project. There's an idea, wherever that idea is sparked from, and then how he crafts that initial idea. And that's a, it's a, you know, what he's seeing in his head from the kit he wants to wear by, by way of color and that color on the backdrop and the color of the dirt with the kit, with the bike, like there's a whole artistry even before he starts riding and, and whipping it and the body movements. And that's a whole nother level of artistry, but the artistry from the color coordination from everything is just, at first I thought it was over the top. Like, like really you could get into the, what he would ask you, you'd say, I'm looking at this color kit for, for example. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know. There was one he shot. I think it was a raw 100. He was on the old BMX Woodward BMX mountain cross track or something. And the way the trees were, he wanted red. It has to be a red and it's gotta be long sleeve and the logos need to be. And so I had this jacket made just for this shot. Um, that sort of stuff, which I think at the time I'm like, really? <laughs> uh, you know, I was just getting to learn his process and respecting that process. Even before you, you put the tires to dirt and the, and the, and the tripod in the ground to start filming. Um, and the collaborative process he would have with, with the shooters, you know, the, the photographers and the filmers, it's all, I don't know. It's just a really cool artistic process and I'm not an artistic creative person but i'm always in awe of of because i wish i was like i wish i could paint i wish i could draw yeah, likewise um, i wish i could design i wish i could come up with some of these concepts let alone obviously we it, couldn't ride but like you say to yeah. think that level of detail it's like these small things that we don't even notice we might start noticing them more now after you mentioned but it's something that just makes the project work but we didn't know what it was it is yeah, a form of artistry, yeah. isn't it? These like attention to detail. 
for sure. And that just, he's never strayed from even the, so back to social media. Like it's got a certain look and he's never strayed from it. You know, back to every brand provides him with assets to, to do the push on a go to market, new helmet, new SRAM fork or rock shock fork, new SRAM drivetrain, whatever it is, they provide the assets to the athletes. Um, TLD provides all that stuff, but he would do it in his own way. Oftentimes. I mean, sometimes he posts the, the provided assets if he, if he, you know, likes the look of them, you know, and I always respected that part of it. So anyways, um, and then just the athletic um, performance and what, you know, I don't know people, I think he's probably told it or it was shown in some of his stuff, but like he would make, he would get sick before a lot of those like joyride comps, you know, throwing up at the start rampage, how nervous he is. And, 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 and that part I've seen so many times, like athletes that are just, super nervous in the start gate that's not an uncommon thing but i don't know i think in the slope style realm i always thought that was fascinating to rise up from that because it's such a the duration's just shorter right in a, in a slope style comp 30 seconds or whatever and you gotta and you gotta hit every trick versus a downhill run you can make a mistake you know, you probably make several sometimes didn't hit that line the way I wanted, but you know, still carried the momentum, blah, 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 blah. Anyways, it just his whole dedication to his art in writing and, um, and even now athleticism with the rally racing, you know, there's been, I've heard people talk about the Nico when Nico went to rally similarities there. Um, I didn't really follow Nico's rally career, but um, what, what a psychological sport of, of, of reading terrain so quickly. And to, I know they do translate that sort of gravity mountain bike riding to rally racing, but still impressive. Um, man, I, it's all the usual suspects. I would just be saying the same list of friggin' names. Everybody. Yeah. I mean, that's why some of them have been given names like the goat or palmer that changed the sport or sam hill that did his thing or gwyn that did his or volios before that of course yeah yeah and of course cully comes up i think it was it ec i mean he's yeah he's cully, quite cully, the, he cully, was pretty talented and maybe didn't fulfill to his full potential hey with health and stuff like that right we just went to the hall of fame cully got inducted to the hall of fame lee and i oh, went up awesome, there awesome really him. Fuck, I'd love to chat to him. You think he'd chat? For sure. And you know, he... Wicked. He is the catalyst. He does not get enough credit for not just the downhill, for the birth and the inspiration of, of, of a big crew of downhillers, especially pulling all those BMX riders, Lopes, Carter, King, to name the big three. I don't think those three guys would have discovered mountain biking without Cully coming to it. Um, he, he really, you know, and I, I was the one I was working at a shop. I knew him from BMX cause we would have BMX gate start Wednesdays at that shop. So I knew a lot of the BMX crew. I was like an early mountain biker. You know, I was the dork 
<laughs> you ride those stupid mountain bikes? What a dork. Uh. And uh, I convinced Cully to go to Mammoth in 89. You know, I was well, whatever. I think I was 18 or some something. Um, and he was he's only a year older than me. And um, went to Mammoth. And that was his first. He did the slalom there, the Mammoth slalom, which was called the World Championships at the time. This is before UCI got involved. And I just knew he was going to be good just from his BMX talents I'm like you should try this sport dude i know you'll slay it we built him a special slalom bike and he was the fastest qualifier and he ended up flatting and i think he got third there or something but he was he was on his way and so not only did he have that racing like he was a racer he would train hard he would want to win he'd want to destroy the competition and he fell in love with this sport of downhilling but he was also the style was sick. Like we'd never seen before, like doing tricks in his downhill runs. And it was really, you know, talking about Seminuk, like Cully was doing the stylish moves on the bike before anybody again in race runs, you know, we'd go do photo shoots with mountain bike action. And it was just Cully jumping and doing knack knacks and tricks at from McGrath, like moto tricks. But like, what the fuck on a mountain bike? Like, it was insane. And we had these trails in Palos Verdes, which is where we grew up at, um, with these big cliff drops. And we always just looked at them, us mountain bike dorks. Like, wow, look at those. Like, because I think the moto guys are riding up. There were cliff jumps. Um, and Cully's like, I'll drop in on one of those, like full early rampage stuff. Like, even before all the, North Shore free ride type shit. Cully was way ahead of that stuff. He just was, he was doing things on the bicycle way ahead of his time. And, you know, then he fast tracked 92. He wins world champs. I was his mechanic there. He signs his first, first hundred thousand dollar downhiller contract ever. It was like the big thing. Nobody ever signed a deal that big for downhilling. Diamondback Racing, $100,000 deal. He gets married, buys a house in Durango on the golf course. He's balling. And then fast forward, 94, that's when his heart explodes at the first race at Cats Cup. And that begins just the most savage, horrific tale and an and incredible tale of adversity and, you know, several open heart surgeries, UCI not giving him a license because he was on blood thinners and they were, it was a liability to have him race. And he had to fight legal battles to get a license to race sponsors left him. He ends up like, he ends up signing with KHS, which is like, was not the greatest sponsor of the time. Um, but it's all he could get. And the bike was not good. And he's still like, he didn't wear the team kit. He designed his own team kit with Troy Lee. He was the first custom painted helmet guy. You know, I didn't even mention that, but before custom painted helmets, like everything about this dude changed the game. And he never got because of the, because when he had his heart explode, his heart valve blew up when he had a, uh, I forget. He had a titanium valve, a pig valve and a human valve put in three or four times near death experience so many times, but it was right at the climb a mountain biking explosion and Cully was gone. 
because he was going through all this health stuff. And so he didn't get that credit for style speed. I mean, dude was sick on a bike and stylish and all that, but fuck, he was the fastest dude. Holy shit. He would go through rock gardens like you could never, never seen before. Flat pedally sections, whatever it was. Dude was a racer. He was the best. And then this shit happens. And he kind of just was forgotten about as, as everybody, you know, whether it was the BMX Armada that came in, you know, the Lopes King Carter, and those guys were incredible athletes too. Um, and then you had tons of BMXers try to make it and they just couldn't cut it. But those three Lopes King and Carter, they did cut it. Obviously they were some of the greats, um, but they wouldn't have been there without Cully for sure. They would not, I could say what ifs all day, but they would not have careers if Cully wouldn't have cracked that door open. And um, so, yeah, it was it was great to see him get in that. You know, Mountain Bike Hall of Fame early on was, I was just like, this is a, it's like a bunch of clowns are in here. What the hell is this? And then I think like the 2012, 2013, they started like, they got a new crew managing it, new board of directors. You used to be able to buy your way into the Hall of Fame, basically. Um, what with donations or something, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, fuck. exactly. It was a bit of a, a bit of a sham, and I I clowned on it, and it's cleaned up and gotten better. Um, and so that ceremony was 20, 2020 inductees, twenty one and twenty two, because of COVID, they had a three year thing. So like, Jason McCroy got in there, totally valid and an awesome. His dad, Jim McCroy, couldn't make it. You know, Jason passed away. He's good, good friends, good mates with Petey and Warner and yeah, legendary yeah. British he's in, downhiller. He's in the movies. Um, and he's in Petey's movie and he made yeah. it in. That's incredible. Yeah. So so he was in there. Um, I forget all of the Carl Burkett or Radic Burkett, who started Pink Bike, made it in there. Um, who's rec- I think recently he's finally out at Pink Bike. But, um, it was a really good crew of, I forget all the inductees. Um, Tarek, Tarek got in. Yeah, of course, too. Um, I saw some of them. I so saw it's, it was it's, hitting the social media. It was cool to see. Yeah. Bearclaw was in there, got in yeah, there. Yeah. So it was cool to hear everybody's stories. But yeah, Cully, it's a little late in him getting in there because he is, for downhill racing, there's nobody that is, he is at the, if, if, there, if there's a pyramid of, of this sport growing Cully is at the, he's the foundation of it really for speed and for style and fucking competitive. Like, I mean, I was, his, I was his mechanic and I was Lopes's mechanic. I think, I think this might've been one of those stories I was telling you about <laughs> at, uh, the, um, a Rye Japan world cup when Cully was like, this is 99, yeah, 90, 90, 98 or 99. Um, and Cully was back. He got on Schwinn. And the the duel before Forecross, the duel was a World Cup series. Cully was leading the series. He crushed everybody that year. He was leading, and we go into the finals. And he just he just cracked. Like, And Lopes was playing head games with him, like hardcore, just fucking with him. <laughs> and like... Yeah, Cully was 
he lost he lost the title at that race and it sucked because that would have been to come back from all that health shit and you know he's dying on his deathbed with his heart his chest sewn open and his chick he married when he got home from the hospital she was gone she took everything the cash the bmw like the dude's life completely fell apart and he came back through all that shit and was leading the series was crushing people <laughs> and lopes just, just fucking head game put, a, mean, lopes put a foot on his fucking put wolf. a foot on his neck yeah, and lopes was, one fair and yeah. square lopes crushed but the fairy tale would have been cully taking the title i guess yeah and i was lopes's mechanic there and of course i want lopes to win the title which he did um i'm pretty sure lopes won the race um but yeah there was cully just just cracking from the head games as you know the head games in racing are real and some are really good at it um some are victims of it <laughs> uh I, what was i just what was i just uh oh there was an old episode of of brendog on wasn't your podcast somebody else talking about greg and some of the minar shit on honda like how greg wouldn't even greg would either tell us the wrong tips you know setup tips or Hey, show, help us out on this line, and he'd show us like the shittiest line kind of stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, man, dude, we, uh, I mean, everyone's a competitor. EC's saw some stuff like, you know, Troy and Gwyn were in a title hunt. So, I mean, are they going to share stuff? Like, it's still an individual sport as much as you're on a team. It's, there's, 100 yeah. percent head games. The best is like, even when it's your mate and he wants to follow you down the hill. Yeah, yeah, I'm just gonna take it easy. Like you literally go as hard as physically possible after you say those words. I was just cruising. Dude, I was just cruising. The guys, you're just like <laughs> trying to drop this guy and fuck with him. But uh, yeah, no, hate games are real. Of course they are. It's just like little subtle yeah, things. They've, they've always been. Oh, around. you're gonna run that tire? Okay, be it's just a question. But it's just puts if you just get a little bit of doubt into your competitor. And I agree, Craig's. Greg's probably good at it. Unbeknownst to him, might not even be trying to be like that all the time. But when someone that good asks you a question, it makes you doubt yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'd say it's, it's, it's similar. I want to go with it's worse than the women's side. Again, back to my era of just hands-on working with Lee in that era and the head games with the, with the chicks. Whew. Dude, that must've been they were gnarly. gnarly. And even, you know, I, I'm pretty good friends with Valley. Talk to Valley a lot. And a lot of the shit that goes on today, like it's same. Is this, there is some, some stuff, some friendly on the outside, but not so friendly. Uh, yeah. And so it's not, I think it's probably surprising to, a, to a young person, you know, she's still very young. But I, I hear these little tales and I'm like, oh, yeah, like that stuff's been around for a while and it's never going away. And but that's I mean, it's in every it's in it's in work. It's in competition. Um, it sucks. But 
how how you navigate it. But yeah, that Cully Lopes final finale was brutal. Like Cully just cracked and it just it again, I was Lopes' mechanic. We were stoked he won the title. But I'm like, God damn, this would have been a nice nice footnote to Cully's struggle. But I mean, Lopes isn't just gonna fucking give it to no him. no i like, mean not even that lopes, lopes would no lopes, one no lopes. one really would would they yeah and lopes to this day you know then and now is is one of cully's best friends they're they're still really good friends especially to today um lopes would love to give him that gift but he ain't gonna right? yeah no, <laughs> i i hate to say it i feel like cully wouldn't want it given to him he wants to earn that shit too you know what? You wouldn't want yeah, to know he gave yeah. it to you. Yeah, and I mean, even EC. To I can't wait to listen to his episode because I've. Yeah, know. we had some fun. We need like around two, three, and four, like we're gonna need with you. Yeah, it was it was great. I was EC's mechanic on the Barracuda team. Yeah, like I said earlier, um, and I remember I was EC's mechanic for that whole Barracuda team and Lopes didn't have he didn't really have anything he was like the mongoose bmxer that they were sending to races and i and i knew lopes and i'm like yeah just come by my pit i'll help i'll help you out with your bike and i remember ec coming to me that night and he was all balled up that i was working on brian's bike and they were gnarly bmx competitors now you know coming to mountain bike they were both kind of new um and the man Eric was like, I don't think he should be working on his bike. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. But he's he, he doesn't have anybody to work on his bike, dude. <laughs> it was like, and there was uh there's just some there was some beef there, and there was always I, I feel like EC was always around some sort of drama. I I I I and Lee and I were, were good friends with Eric. He mentioned Lee helped with a coach, I think. I think he, yeah, yeah I feel Val, like you guys yeah. hooked him up a coach when he realized he needs to put his shit in a pile, put his finger out and yeah, make a totally. go of it. Like, yeah, he was just, he was, he was really like, knew. spoken of you guys helping. Yeah, we knew Eric had what it took to be one of the greats and he just needed to get his shit together. And Lee's coach was, was the guy she introduced him to. But I feel like Eric, Eric excelled when shit was at its pinnacle of chaos. Like when the drama was at its highest, I'm not talking head games per se, but like bike set up, tires fucked up, like all every, everything like going him. wrong. Yeah. He would rise to the occasion and he would almost, he would almost find shit to, to go south that would help him excel. It's a weird dynamic with Eric. And, and it, I, I, it seemed like when things were just perfect, the perfect practice days, the bikes that everything's perfect. Like that didn't work for him. He had to, he had to come from adversity. And if there wasn't any adversity, he would kind of create it like whatever that is in a weird, just the psychology of racers is always fascinating. And we knew that then it's taken some reflection, you know, to like how all these people worked and Eric's a fascinating, uh, I've never seen anybody corner like Eric. He, if there was a world championship for cornering, 
Eric's 30 time world champion. The dude carves on rails. And when I first saw him at a BMX, I saw him at the BMX grands. I forget what year, long time ago. And that's, he's another guy. I was like, dude, you gotta try mountain biking. And it took him a while to get into it. But anyway, he's a guy that seemed like he thrived on, I don't know if adversity is the right word, but just struggle. Yeah, it makes sense. Some people like it takes the expectation and pressure off when you've got a quote unquote excuse. I'm not saying that's what he had, but maybe mentally yeah. you're like, oh, I haven't got the right stuff, so I'm probably not going to win. And just go out and do your thing, you know. And you need because when everything's think, perfect, think, you've think, got no, there's no excuse. Then it's just up to you. Yeah, got to go out there. And I think win. maybe Greg is Greg's got elements of that too. Yeah, right? with, with all, all the, the puzzling, puzzling and like shit. Yeah, for sure. Man. Constant, like. <laughs> Dude, your bike works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. He is he that process that process works for him. Oh yeah, it's know? unbelievable. And he needs that pressure. Like he almost need now further into his career, he needs the bigger events and he needs the twenty people flying from all over the world. Like I would hate that. Oh fuck, <laughs> I gotta perform for these guys <laughs> yeah. now too. Yeah. It's hard enough getting down yeah. the seal, but he yeah, it's like if you think about it, like why would he perform at a small race? Like it's not worth the risk after all these years. He doesn't need to prove himself. So that's yeah. interesting. But that's the, yeah. the the Loic thing, man. And he's he's he has said it again back to the transparency of Loic, which is just refreshing. I don't know he plays some head games too, but he's pretty he's pretty open. And when he talks about he loves being the last guy in the gate. Last man yeah, on the it's hill. A powerful statement. Or most yeah. people, or most most people, crack in that scenario. You know, fastest qualifier guy, girl. He loves it. Yeah, and you kind of know that as a spectator, fan, insider, whatever. You know it, but then when he says it, and he doesn't say it, it's not a bragging type of comment. No, it's not. It's not like sh- when Sean Palmer said certain things. It's braggy and to get <laughs> yeah, in your yeah. head, but like yeah. he he's just honest about it, and it. But it's powerful, especially yeah. coming from him, because you know he's kind of humble. So for him to say it, you're yeah. like, "Fuck, he likes being there. Oh, he ain't gonna crack." Okay, it's tough for the competitors yeah. to hear that. Yeah, and he. I mean, he knows it doesn't always pan out, but the 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 situation of that he 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 likes. Yeah, which is fuck. That's. It's, Admirable. Yeah, it is. It is. Admirable. It's not. Not everyone's built like that. Give me the ball. The dying minutes of this seconds of this game, I'll shoot the free throw. Uh, give me the ball. That's. That's not. You can. Uh, I. I feel you're born with a lot of that. You can train and you can help your process, but certain people just have it a little bit more than more than others. What do you make of? Um, well, there's not that much information. Twenty twenty three excited i mean change is in the air some sort of change oh just so 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 nervous like uh, there's there's nothing i can say that is any different than a lot of what i've been hearing which which goes back to none of us know enough information to even and i you're hearing the athletes say that in the summer which was great. I was so stoked. The athletes weren't like, well, I think it's going to be, blah, blah, blah. they were like, we don't know enough, anything to even have an opinion. And everybody had that same, same rap, which was really cool. Like I respected the athletes for not pontificating on the whole thing. Well, some did, some did though. Some were, we've heard this and this room and I'm like, guys, 
<laughs> nothing's true, in true. black and white. Relax. So there yeah, were some guys. Yeah, but I think we're st- well, like aware of that. We don't have enough information, but there, maybe it was yeah. websites as well fueling the fire. For sure, I know. I think we're still in that moment of, you know, there's there's some little insider nuggets from some people I've heard that just are are negative news. You know, the costs that are sound like they're going to charge and access for photography, which make the Red Bull uci stuff from before seem like child's play so man i just super super nervous about it because what i said earlier in this interview right was red bull well first freecaster then red bull and maybe these are two strong words but they brought downhill racing back from the dead and xc racing they helped a new audience discover it. I, of course, have been familiar with cross-country World Cup racing my entire career, but I didn't really follow it until, I mean, really didn't start following it until like the Yolanda Neff era when she was on live and started crushing it, like exciting cross-country racing. I'm like, I got to fuck a while because I, w- I was at a race and the big blonde hair and just constantly sprinting and pinning it. I'm like, this chick's gnarly. And so I became a fan of XC through her and, and you know, Nino Julian stuff. Like I was getting reacquainted with XC yeah. and the Red Bull shows. Then it became like, I was watching them like downhill getting up in the morning to watch. I'm like, Oh man, I'm so excited. So they brought back downhill racing from the dead. They re inspired an XC audience and just did so much good. Can this new group pick up where it's just, it, it, what do they say? Big shoes to fill, right? Yeah. And, I mean, that's a face. And, and, and there is the sure. Warner, the Warner component is no, I hate to put, you know, can one man make a difference? Yeah, it can like, but the, whatever that's my personal opinion. Cause I'm such a huge fan of Rob's. I know the audience is too, but fuck that guy when we talk about old school that's a dude you know this that guy should not be a professional success in any capacity he's such a train wreck (laughs) as a racer and i worked with him he brought me into the schladming world cup show on freecaster to guest host or whatever and i was horrible it was the worst announcer of all time But I like I knew Rob back in the nineties, but I was the first time hanging out with him again. And he's like studying the night before. This is 2008. And I was like, he still was hanging out at the bar that night, but he and I were like, well, people don't party anymore. Where's everybody at? Like the bar was empty. And uh, but his homework and his dedication to the sport to speak to it early on. And he 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 will say that he was still figuring it out. And then later on him going to broadcast training with Red Bull and he has become a professional broadcaster. Yeah. hundred like, percent. is phenomenal man, at it. And the work he's put into it is so surprising because he was such a derelict, right? And he's transformed into this 
incredible broadcaster. And it's I'm really impressed with the guy, I guess, from what he was to what he is now. I guess it's proof that we can all transform and, and change um, because he does so much work on the stats and and the stories of these riders, knowing their backstories. It, it, it's really incredible. Um, and I just, I watch, like you, watch a lot of sports, different sports, and nobody knows this sport or these athletes like I think he does. And he's lucky enough to have some guests in there that also sprinkle in some little additional stuff. But um, anyways, that's 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 the big loss is the Rob component. But everybody, a lot of people are saying that. Yeah, no, definitely. And and he's like, he deserves all of all of what people are saying. And he's got the most, the I mean, he's got the most experience in the broadcast seat and the most experience like calling the racing. Like, He's he's done all this work, but he's got this wealth of knowledge in his head from being there before people realized we needed broadcasters and they had the fun with Freecaster and then it got more professional and they sort of yeah. he was like a diamond in the rough. Um and and he deserves credit for where the sport is as now as well, because it's gone more mainstream. And when a mate texts me like, Hey, you tuning into the race, I'm like, Yeah, of course I am. Do I want to do the review podcast or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Okay, cool. And they know the guy's name. They know who Warner is. Yeah. Like they want they came yeah. and watched me race and they want to meet Warner. Um and, <laughs> and he deserves, but you're right. He said he found something. Like in racing, he kind of like when the sport turned to professional level, he kind of said it just wasn't him. But then he turned into yeah. a professional in another avenue of the sport. So it's it's pretty damn cool and for sure a loss. Like it's just yeah, a challenge. The, like, I the, guess nothing lasts forever at the same time as well, whether it's this totally, Red Bull deal, totally. like we don't know enough and it could be really good for the sport and people were hating on Red Bull when they took it over. And now it's okay. But now yeah. the same people, I, and and still, now the same they, people on comment sections are hating on the new people, but they haven't even done anything yet. <laughs> so maybe give yeah. it some time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think if they, you know, what would make us all feel better? Some, I don't know, come February, there's a 23 get ready show and they interview the top five athletes or something. Um, some, some, some preview of the season flashback to the races. We're excited. You know what I mean? Like, cause Red Bull would do those, like get ready for the next season coming kind of thing. And that would just, you know as a as a person that looks at numbers now more than I ever have what's the that's a big spend for what you know um I don't know but we don't know enough information to have an opinion right now honestly. you always have an opinion but, but uh, man someone no, can just, change too we, it's not only Warner <laughs> <laughs> there dude like at least with team moves or product stuff that's being developed by competitors e-bike like all that the industry stuff i get little nuggets of intel little nuggets of intel to this day right but on this topic man it's it's pretty it's pretty quiet outside of you know a couple texts about some of these moves they're making on the cost for teams 
to be involved have sound like it's been really controversial. Um, I just saw a thing today about, you know, again, on the, on the private, private message squad, um, of just what the media rights are going to be for teams, just making it harder to expose your brand, expose your team. What we thought was, it seems like what we thought was a pain in the ass before, like for teams to put out their own content is going to be even harder from what we're hearing. And that's not, that's not good. This whole, this whole ownership of the rights of the, of the content from the events. I, I get it, but the sport's too small and in a fragile position, I think right now that it needs all the exposure and fan building and all that stuff possible. So I don't know. We know they have, they, the new crew have not done a good job of being, um, up front. I think there was that live preview thing. It seemed like a bit of a gong show, but, and it's kind of been crickets ever since, but again, my job these days isn't, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a one step more back from world cup involvement than I was before. So that also could be it. Um, yeah, I don't know what, um, but regardless, regardless of what it costs, what time it airs, you know, the fans of it, like ourselves, like whatever, if I got to pay a hundred bucks an episode, sorry, I'll watch it because I'm, you know, it's a great, it's a greatest sport in the world. And I'll probably pay for XC too. Probably going to be some crazy nominal amount for the whole year. And then everyone's going to bitch because yeah. they've had so much good content for free. And I'm not saying I have no information either. So I'm not even saying anything, but, uh, we all know everyone likes to bitch. Um, but I think in the long run, I do think it's going to grow, grow the sport. I, I do think it's going to end up more mainstream and hopefully that trickles down to the right people. But I don't know. I know nothing. So I those, ask those you. Are the, those are the positive nuggets are that what they are saying in the, in the greater reach capacity, that could be a huge benefit. Um, because right now, I take my parents, for example, for some reason – they want to watch the downhill stuff just because that's what that's what Stickman and Lee did back in the day, and they're kind of still into it. They're mainstream America ball sport. They love football, baseball, but they sometimes they watch Supercross because they know we're in kind of we know some of those people. Anyways, they we got on the Red Bull TV app and they watched the replays, which is crazy. Like their kids aren't in it. You know what I mean? Like they're kind of fans from afar, if you will, if they can watch it on one of their like cable streams that they have, like easy access for just average Joe's like that, are they your customer base? No, but we just want people to be fans of the sport. And we want people to buy our tires and our, our derailers and our suspension and whatever. But, I also want people to be a fan of the sport and if they can deliver on that, I don't know if it's a promise, but that um, kind of mission statement is expanding the audience. That's, that'd be a great thing. Cause that's where Red Bull couldn't, couldn't deliver. I think, I mean, it wasn't some of the Red Bull, we call it Red Bull stuff, but some of the world cups was on Eurosport. Well, 
I did the world champs, and that goes like the world champs is like a different contract. So the UCI still can broadcast yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. So that goes BBC. So I did the Eng- yeah, it's English on NBC one, right? Here so, in the US. Exactly. So you might get yeah. both. You might be allowed to watch the not non geo restricted Red Bull or on cable or whoever bought the package that's in your country. Like in England, yeah. you, you know, I don't know. I don't think you could watch it on Red Bull, but you could watch it on BBC or BBC player or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not too caught up, but they, yeah, I think all that matters is when it does happen and the races are happening. And even before just for the sake of the, the, the sport in this fragile moment, we all got to get behind it, get psyched on yeah. it. Don't shit on it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like if you don't have something good to say, maybe don't say it, but, uh, we know that's not going to happen. Imagine, imagine a world where it was in 2007 or whatever, six, or you didn't watch shit. You had to, you had to follow somebody's, well, I don't even know if there was Twitter at the time, but man, you had to scour the earth to find out who won a race. Um, so imagine we go back to a time where it's like, uh, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, imagine a time it's like the Enduro world series, which, oh my God, I'm pulling my, I'm pulling my hair out on the weekend trying to find EWS results. And the stupid live feed doesn't work. Oh my god, I'm going crazy. <laughs> but we want to watch this stuff live. Yeah. But come the first race, Loic Bruni's hopefully dropping in, Amory's dropping in, the goats dropping in. Like we're all gonna have to put our opinions to the side because the boys are going racing. Yeah. yeah. As yeah. we know it. So that's gonna be pretty cool. Stick. I think there's going to be a, a version two of this and three if you have had enough fun to come on. I hope I hope I'm invited back. Dude, you there's an open door policy. It's good. You can do a race review with me. You can come on when there's a hot topic. We'll have to check the stats. If the stats or analytics are bad, then please don't don't have me back. I don't want to I don't want to lose you any more viewers. <laughs> on that note, folks, that was Moving Needle Podcast. That was Stick Man. I'm not gonna bore you with his full name. Uh, thanks so much for him coming on. You know what to do. Leave a review. Send us a message. you got questions for the podcast. Fire them over. We need to do another listener question. And uh, yeah, boys, it's a while till the next big race. But uh, I hope you enjoyed a bit of memory lane and bench racing chat for myself and Stick. Stick, thanks again, mate. Thanks, Needles. Thanks, fans. <laughs>